in the news this week that the time of a hundred-year anniversary of what's considered to be the bloodiest battle in American history. A hundred years ago, we're talking World War I, and there was a big battle in the area of the Argonne Forest in France. The battle went on for 42 days, I think. Over 50,000 men were killed in the course of that battle. And even to this day, it's considered to be the bloodiest battle in the history of the United States military. The story told of lots of acts of courage and heroism that took place during that horrible battle. You can imagine such. In fact, you can imagine stories of courage and heroism in almost every battle that has ever been fought. It takes courage when you're in a battle. Today we want to talk about another kind of courage. It's still a battle. We're still talking about a battle. We're not talking about a battle on a physical battlefield. We're talking about the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. As we seek to serve God in this life, as we battle the forces of evil in this world, we are in a war. And we want courage to fight the fight that needs that is before us, that we need to fight. We want to talk this morning about one of the heroes who was courageous in standing up for God today, a rather obscure fellow, but we want to try to learn some lessons from him as we get into our study. We stop before we do that, though, to thank everyone for being here. We're glad that you've come. We've got a beautiful Sunday morning in Middle Tennessee, and it's a great privilege to be able to come together to worship God. We appreciate you because... The fact that you're here this morning indicates that this is important to you. Surely, all kinds of other things you could have been doing today, on a day like today, but you chose to be here, and we appreciate you for that, and we're encouraged by that. Thanks for coming, and thanks thanks for uh, just the encouragement you provide by being here. We have visitors this morning, and we're glad that you're here. We want you to come back every time you can. Some have come from so far away as Texas to be with us today. We're glad for the Purcells, friends we've known for many years. Uh, and we're glad that they're here to worship with us today. Thanks for, for being with us. Come back whenever you can if you're visiting today. The fellow that we have in mind that we want to speak about in our lesson this morning, hopefully this is going to work, I want to talk about Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, as I said earlier, is a rather obscure fellow, But he is the one that you remember spoke up for the body of Jesus after Jesus had died on the cross of Calvary. In Mark 15, verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. This is from Mark chapter 15. Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in other gospel accounts. Luke says that he was a good and an honest man. And it supplies to us the information that he had not consented with the council concerning how they were treating Jesus. John, in chapter 19, verse 38, says that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. And so, up until this point in time, he had believed in Jesus, but he hadn't come out in the open about his faith in Jesus. But notice here, it says that he gathered up strength, uh, or gathered up courage, rather, and went in before Pilate. He gathered up courage. I'll tell you, it would have taken a lot of courage on his part to go in and ask for the body of Jesus because he would have actually been revealing his faith in Christ. 
By doing this, he would have exposed himself that he believed who Jesus was. This was a powerful council. Apparently, he was a member of the council. He didn't agree with them about how they had been treating Jesus, uh, but he hadn't come out in the open. Now he's going to be out in the open. I want to tell you, these are powerful individuals. They can cause you a lot of trouble. Joseph of Arimathea, from henceforth and onward, is going to be a marked man among those powerful Jewish leaders in the city of Jerusalem. But he did it anyway. He gathered up his courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. We need to imitate his courage. And that's basically what we want to suggest this morning. That it takes courage, that we need to gather up courage in our efforts to serve the Lord. There's several areas that I think that we can use his example to prompt us, to motivate us, to be courageous. I would suggest to you that it, first of all, just takes courage to obey the gospel. We know that the saving message of the gospel addresses our sinful situation. Familiar verses like Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If I obey the gospel, then I'm basically admitting I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I've got to accept that. I've got to be brave enough to say so. I understand. In fact, I understand that not only am I a sinner, but that because of how I lived, I deserve to die eternally. The wages of sin is death. Chapter 6 of Romans verse 23 says, And so by obeying the gospel... I have to make the courageous proclamation. I acknowledge myself as a sinner in need of salvation. I know that I'm lost, and without Christ, I would spend eternity in hell. There's just a basic reaction on the part of us as human beings to try to dodge responsibility, to deny wrongdoing. Typically, if someone comes to an individual and says, you're wrong, you've been doing wrong, the first reaction typically is to try and justify ourselves, to say, no, no, and you, you don't understand. Let me explain myself. It takes some real courage to admit, yes, I am wrong. I have done wrong. I need to be saved. Uh, and so uh, when we obey the gospel, we are making that acknowledgement. We are being courageous enough to say, yes, I, I'm a sinner. I, I need to be saved. But I tell you even more than that, When we become a Christian, we are aligning ourselves with the Lord and with others who've served Him, with others who've been persecuted because of their faith. So I'm admitting my need, but I'm also saying I'm going to join the ranks of those who serve the Lord, even though I know that historically that's caused a lot of trouble. People have persecuted the disciples of the Lord. In the text that Josh read for us earlier from Matthew chapter 22, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Well, I don't want to be hated, right? But if I make this decision to obey the gospel, I'm going to be among those who are hated for the Lord's name's sake. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So I've got to be courageous in obeying the gospel because... I know that in doing so, having admitted my weakness and need for salvation, I will be in that number, identified as disciples of Jesus, and therefore I'm going to be open to the same kind of persecutions that Jesus himself was. That takes some courage to be willing to do that. Jesus went on to say that 
even this opposition may even come from those of my own family. Notice as that text goes on, he said, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Uh, sometimes the courage to, to obey the gospel even will bring about an alienation from family members. We have examples of people right here in our midst this morning who've made a decision to obey the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and they did it knowing that in doing so, their family would oppose them. And there'd be an alienation, and there'd be issues, even with family members, because you have made this determination, because you have stepped out in courage to obey the gospel. Uh, and so, do I have enough courage to stand up and obey? Even if it means that uh, my saying so admits my own weakness and sin, but also has the potential of causing me persecution and grief along with the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, do I have the courage to do that? It takes courage then just to basically obey the gospel message. But, of course, obeying the gospel initially, is that's not the end of the story. That's really just the beginning of the story. Then we're expected to live as disciples of Jesus. And certainly, being obedient as a disciple of Jesus uh, is going to take courage, too, because there's going to be ongoing issues to deal with. In Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice, there's daily cross-bearing to do. And so it's not enough to say, okay, I got, I, I, I got my courage up once and I did it. No, I'm going to have to get my courage up every day to live as a disciple of the Lord. In First Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 1, Peter says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Notice, when we live as disciples of Jesus, people in this world say, that guy's a weirdo. He's strange. He's some sort of religious fanatic. He's gone off the deep end. He's got religion to an excess. They speak evil of you, right? I'll tell you, it takes courage to stand up to that. It takes courage to be a faithful disciple of the Lord, knowing that it's going to provoke that kind of reaction from some of the people around us. They're going to think we're strange. As we've pointed out before, if you've never been called strange by the people of this world, if, if you've never brought the criticism, you must be some sort of religious fanatic, if that's never happened to you, then maybe you need to take that as a, a potential red flag. Build up your courage. Gather up your courage. Live as a disciple of the Lord, and when you do that, it's, it, it's going to provoke an unpleasant reaction, and you'll have to be courageous to stand up to that. We need that kind of courage. We need courage to say no to the devil. There are just all kinds of temptations in the modern world. You know that very well. 
I think, and we've, we've even tried to identify some of the very effective tools that Satan has at his disposal in the modern day to present temptations to us. I, I, my guess is that Satan is quite delighted with inventions that have come along just within the past generation. Uh, television. Some of us who are old, I, I can remember when we got our first television. It's such a it's such a common part of our lives now. We assume it was always so. It hadn't been so for that long. I think Satan must really love television. The movies. I tell you, maybe his most effective tool that, ever, that it was ever invented is the Internet. Satan has got all kinds of ways to come at us. And I tell you, you're going to have to be brave and courageous to say no to these temptations. Our young people, I think, are especially tempted with all of these kinds of things. And you're just going to have to be brave. You're going to have to have the courage to say no to the things that Satan is constantly throwing out in front of us, trying to get us to sin. But you know, the fact of the matter is, Satan's temptations are not a new thing. Uh, they date all the way back, of course, to the Garden of Eden, the, the first sin. You know it well. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, beginning, The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. What does Satan do? Well, Satan lies. We know that he lies about it to, to tempt us. We know furthermore that he presents us with the idea of instant gratification. You can have this, you can have it now. Look at what you're missing out on. Look what you could be enjoying now. You're trying to live as a disciple of the Lord, but man, you could be having it so much better if you would do these sorts of things. It's what he did with Eve in the garden. It's what he does with us. And i got to tell you, it takes courage to say no to the devil. We're going to have to gather up that courage. We're going to have to step out like Joseph of Arimathea did and be strong to say no to the devil. It takes courage to admit when we have sinned. Now, we already talked about this earlier. We talked about acknowledging our sin when we obey the gospel. As we come to salvation, we have to admit our need for it. But here, we're talking, we're talking about admitting that we have sinned, talking to those who, of us who are Christians already. As Christians, we sin too. We understand that. Uh, I'll tell you, a whole lot of issues come up when we lack the courage to admit our own faults and sins. I'm not talking here about when we are alien sinners coming to Christ. Now I'm talking about when we are Christians and we sin and we don't want to admit our sins. If we lack the courage to admit our faults and sins, what we do, of course, is provoke a whole new catalog of problems to deal with. We're always so impressed with the example of King David when Nathan the prophet came to him in 2 Samuel 12 and confronted him about the sins with Bathsheba, even including the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah, David, when David was confronted with that, he could have reacted totally differently. He could, he could have ordered the execution of Nathan the prophet who brought the message. He could have told the soldiers right around him at the time, grab that man, take his head off. He didn't. Instead, what he humbly did was admit his sin. I have sinned against the Lord. 
that kind of courage. You've got to believe that was a courageous thing for David to do. I mean, his sins were awful. But his courage here in acknowledging his sin is incredible. He didn't have to do that, of course. He could have, he could have avoided making that confession, but he did so. And he was blessed ultimately as a result of his tender heart toward God. We need that tender heart. We need the courage to admit as Christians when we have sinned. It takes courage to speak to others about becoming a disciple. We all understand, I think, that we have a, a significant job assignment as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that job assignment involves taking the message of the gospel to others. Now, uh, we can link this with some of the points we were making earlier. The reason why it takes courage to share the gospel with others is because as we talk to others, about becoming a Christian, we are, as we were saying earlier, we are identifying ourselves, much like Joseph of Arimathea did. When we speak to others, we're identifying ourselves as Christians. Uh, that takes courage because, in fact, some people will react in a hostile way toward us. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that hostility toward pure religion is becoming more and more prevalent in our day and time. Now, it's certainly not anything like it was back in the first century. The persecutions that we face are not like those that uh, our first century brothers and sisters experienced. But it's, it's still there. There's still resistance to the truth. And when we try to share the gospel, there'll be some who'll be hostile toward it. It may get worse in days to come. We don't know. We can't predict that. But even now, it takes courage to come out and to say to a co-worker, I'd like to talk with you about becoming a Christian. To say to a family member who's never obeyed the gospel, I'd like to sit down and study with you. To talk to your neighbor. To talk to a friend or an acquaintance. It takes courage to speak to them about becoming a Christian. In Acts chapter 4, we recently studied this text as the gospel was beginning to be preached in Jerusalem. We know that persecution almost instantly began. And... Some of the apostles were brought before the council and they were threatened. Initially, they were let go. The next time they were brought before the council, they'd be beaten. But this time, they were just threatened and let go. And they went back to their own group and they, and they prayed to God. And they said in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Notice here, with all boldness. That's what they wanted. Grant that we can be bold in proclaiming the truth. We need that boldness. We need that courage. We should pray for the same thing. And we should imitate the boldness that they possessed in preaching the truth about Jesus Christ. It takes courage to stand up to those who advocate error. There's a lot of error in the religious world. We know that. We talk about that pretty often. In fact, sometimes we even have classes where we talk about various denominations and the, uh, and the particular errors of doctrine that they engage in. Uh, we need to know those things well, and we need the courage to stand up and say, that's wrong. What my religious friends say is wrong. That doctrine that they teach and practice at that denomination is wrong, and here's why it's wrong. Look to the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what they're doing. Can you see this is wrong? i tell you, that takes courage to do that. I think we need to develop that courage more and more. Uh, not that long ago, members of the Church of Christ were 
noted for their defense of the gospel. I'm sad to say I think that we may have lost that reputation to some extent. We need to get it back. Uh, We're not going to do it in an ugly or mean-spirited way, but we need to be ready to make a defense of the gospel as the Apostle Paul was. It takes courage to do that. It's just so much easier to say, you're okay. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. It doesn't matter. That's an easy way out. It takes courage to stand up to those in error. I I tell you, there's an increasing amount of error being taught by our own brethren in churches of Christ. And again, it, it, would, it would just be so much easier to ignore it, to let it go, or maybe to join in. It takes courage to stand up, to speak up to those who are advocating error. We've often referenced the example of Paul in Galatians 2. He was talking about when he went up to Jerusalem to confront the Judaizing teachers. And he said, when, when he met up with them in Jerusalem, he said, we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Uh, we need that kind of courage that Paul had. That even among his own brethren, he would not allow them to teach and practice error. He was going to speak against it. He wasn't going to put up with it at all. He had courage. It takes courage to rebuke a disciple who is out of line. You know, it's one thing, you know, if I... I'm going to speak to some denominational person, maybe a denominational preacher, and I can, I can work up my courage to show that denominational preacher you're wrong and here's why you're wrong and here's what the Bible says. That takes courage. But I tell you, it takes even another degree of courage that when the one that I'm addressing who is out of line, out of step, when he's my friend, when he's my family, when he's one of my close associates, when, he, when he's a, a brother or sister in, a, in the local congregation, it takes courage to rebuke another disciple who is out of line. Again, it's just so much easier to look the other way, to sweep it under the rug. But we need the courage that when a brother or sister is in error or out of line, that we'll go to them in an effort to restore them. In Luke, verses 22 and 23, excuse me, Jude, verses 22 and 23, Jude says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, I think in the context of this, Jude is talking about dealing with brethren, not just dealing with people of the world. He's talking about dealing with brethren. But I'm impressed, so much impressed by this expression, pulling them out of the fire. You remember back to 9-11, uh, every year, and it's just been just a couple of weeks ago, every year they have a remembrance of what happened on 9-11. And they, very, they so very often talk about those firefighters who entered into uh, the World Trade Center as it was ablaze and about to c- collapse. And you hear those stories about those courageous firemen who were going up into the towers as everybody else was trying to flee and get out. And so many of them paid with their lives. What were they doing? They were trying to pull them out of the fire, right? They were trying to save people from the fire. And we admire the courage of those firefighters who did that and others who on almost daily basis are fighting fires and saving lives, pulling people out of the fire physically. sure takes courage to do that. And I tell you, it takes courage to pull people out of the fire spiritually as well. We need to step up, take a stand, pull them out of the fire, 
It takes courage to rebuke another disciple who is out of line. Finally, let me suggest to you, it takes courage to keep going when times are tough. Did anybody ever suggest to you that it was going to be easy to be a faithful Christian for the rest of your life? I don't think so. (laughs) No one ever promised me that. I don't think anybody ever promised you that either. Nobody ever said, it's going to be easy. It'd just be like falling off a log. No problem at all. Nobody ever said that, did it? We know. We know times get tough. Sometimes it's very hard to keep moving forward as a Christian. We need courage. In those tough, you know, when times are going well, when it's easy, that's not the challenge. The challenge is when it's hard. When it's hard, we need to gather up our courage and keep going when times are tough. We use the example of the Apostle Paul once more from this familiar text in Philippians 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I just keep trying to move forward. We know that he faced all kinds of challenges and troubles. He said, I just keep trying to move forward. That's what we need to do. It takes courage to keep going when times are tough. Well, you can probably expand this list. My guess is you could add some more points. When we need courage. But thinking back to the example of Joseph of Arimathea, just imagine that man who knew that when he went in to speak to Pilate, requesting that he could take the body of Jesus and bury it in his own tomb, he's, he's exposing himself. He's out in the open now. Everybody, all of those powerful, vindictive Jews in Jerusalem are going to come after him. I'll tell you, that was an amazingly courageous. It's, it's, it's almost sort of an understatement when Mark's account says he gathered up his courage and went in to see Pilate. It would have taken incredible courage. But I tell you, it takes courage on our part too to live for the Lord and to live the kind of life that He wants us to be living. Do you have that courage? Have you become a child of God? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've never obeyed that simple gospel plan, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. We'd be anxious to assist in your obedience. We'd be more than glad to spend time studying with you if you need answers to questions so that you can make that decision. If you're a Christian already but you've let down, you haven't been living as a faithful disciple. Maybe your courage hasn't been where it needs to be and you've failed. Come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.